we are turning this morning to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is near the back of your Bibles. It's one of the last books in the New Testament. A letter of the Apostle Paul. As I mentioned earlier, we are going to be taking a short five-week break from 1 Samuel. As we are in the year that is the 500th anniversary of what is commonly reckoned as the beginning of the Reformation. So we'll be looking at the five solas of the Reformation the next five weeks. And we begin this morning with sola scriptura. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely sufficient. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. O Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would open up your word to us. O Holy Spirit, come down upon us and enlighten our eyes. Bring us an ever greater understanding of the word. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation is nearly upon us. The Reformation, the triggering event, the the seminal event of the Reformation, is often reckoned on October 31st, 1517 when Martin Luther went up to the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and he posted his 95 theses, theological topics, on that door. But the truth is, is that God was at work well before Martin Luther. And God was at work well after Martin Luther. But this period of time helps us to see clearly the need for reformation in the church and that we are the heirs of that spiritual reformation. And so to help us see the recovery of the church of Jesus Christ, we're going to look the next five weeks at the most emphatic, most important doctrines that came out of the reformation. Sola Scriptura, or the Bible alone. Sola Gratia, or by grace alone, sola fide, through faith alone, solo Christo, by Jesus Christ alone, and soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Now, if these 
sayings seem difficult to you, just remember that they're from the 16th century, so of course they're in Latin. But if you've noticed by now, the word solus or solo or sola, all of just differing grammatical forms of the word to mean alone. And it is the emphasis that we have in what the Bible says about the Christian life and especially salvation. So this morning we're going to look at sola scriptura, that is the Bible alone, that the Bible is the ultimate source of authority for the believer. It is God's word and we are to look to it as our guide and stay. I'd like us to see three things about Scripture this morning that all feed into the doctrine of sola scriptura. The first is the nature of Scripture. That is, what Scripture is like. The second is the power of Scripture. How does the Scripture have power in our lives? And then third, the purpose of Scripture. Why God has given to us the Scripture. Scripture's nature, Scripture's power, and Scripture's purpose. As we begin then to look at the doctrine of Scripture that has been renewed during the Reformation, the first and most important question that comes to us is, where does the Bible come from? That's the first question that should come to our minds. Some say that it is just a collection of the writings of men. This is commonly used in intellectual circles in our day. But the thing about this view is that it doesn't really start with a view of the Bible. It actually starts with a view of God. Because you see, those who take this view start with an understanding that there is no God. And He does not speak. And so after all, if that's true, if there is no God, then the Bible must be a collection of human writings. There's no one else to write them but men, because everyone knows there is no God. There's a second view about where Scripture comes from. And that is that it is a mixture of divine and human writings. It is said that the Bible contains the Scripture. It contains the Word of God. Now, we're not exactly sure where that content is or whether a certain verse or a certain word is God's Word or human words, but we're just kind of left to figure it out on our own. Now, to give you an idea of where this leads, let me see if I can lean on some experts here this morning. Let me lean on everyone here who's under the age of 10. If your parents said to you, go in the fridge and get that gallon container, it contains some milk. Oh, there might be some soap and a little motor oil in there, but that's okay. It contains milk. How many of you are going to drink it? I won't wait to see hands. Because you instantly know that that's defined by what it doesn't have that's healthy and good and right and proper as much as it is by what is healthy and good and proper. Now, why would we look at the Bible in the same way? Well, I need help for my marriage. I'm not sure if what I'm going to apply is a complete lie or is God's truth. I guess I'll just have to test it out on my marriage. 
well, I've got to raise my children. How should I raise them? Well, it could be a complete falsehood that will lead me down the road to ruin, but I don't know. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. It's a ridiculous way of viewing the Bible. Thankfully, there is a third way to view the Bible, and this is the historic Christian position that the Bible is the word of God himself, that God himself has authored the scripture. It is written by men, but authored by God. And this is rooted in the idea that God does exist and that he desires to reveal himself to man. This is why we approach the scripture in this historic Christian biblical way, we understand that God exists and not only that he is out there somewhere, but that he wants us to know him. And so he speaks to us in his word. Paul speaks in our passage this morning of the sacred writings that Timothy was well aware of and that he had grown up on. And there is a history that Paul is drawing on here. Sacred, this word, means holy. It actually means belonging to God. It is often used as an adjective to describe the things of the temple. So what Paul is saying here is these aren't just some kind of writings. They're not just good writings. They're not just really good writings. They're God's writings. They're holy writings. And they were the basis of life in Israel. Israel lived by God's word. And there is an interesting thing that we see in the Old Testament that the further the people of God moved from God, the less attention they paid to God, the further and further they got from the scriptures. The Bible actually tells us that at one point, Israel lost the Bible. Now, I don't mean that just that they didn't think much of it. I don't mean just that they put it up on a shelf somewhere and didn't read it. I mean they actually lost it. And it took a king, a good king that God had raised up, who was literally going through the rubbish pile, and he found the law of God. And he said, we should be studying this. We should be reading this. We should be living in accordance with this. Oh, how we have missed the word of God. And that discovery of God's word sparked a spiritual and national renewal in Israel. It was not government. It was not morality. It was God's word. The Bible, furthermore, tells us that it comes from God. It does this in many ways and in many places. A few citations will have to suffice for time. In Acts chapter 2, we read, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So they are about to quote Joel the prophet from the Old Testament, something that Joel wrote. And in the last days it shall be, God declares. You see that? Joel wrote, but God declared. In Acts chapter 4, We see the church coming together, and they begin to quote from Psalm chapter 2. They have a prayer to the Lord, and they say, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, now wait for it, 
said by the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? You see, the apostles viewed David's writings in the Psalms as being the writings of the Holy Spirit. They were authored by God. Now, the Bible does not just describe God. That's how some people view the Bible. It's a place where you can go and find trivia or facts about God. No, the Bible is actually from God. And this is sort of what we get at when we use the term inspiration. We talk about the inspiration of the Bible. But the truth is, that's not exactly what Paul says here. He doesn't say that the Bible was inspired. He says what, rather, in verse uh, 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, there's a sense in which maybe we have our prepositions wrong. We talk about inspiration, breathing in. Paul talks about expiration, breathing out. And I think while the term inspiration is fine, I think it's important for us to understand what Paul means when he talks about the word of God being God-breathed or breathing out. You see, it is not just that God gives power to something that is independent of him. It's not as if God stands over the Bible as an independent entity and puts his stamp of approval on it. 100% approved by God. No. It's rather that God brings forth the Bible from himself. And this gives us a greater understanding and clarity of what the Bible is. Because after all, we approve and recommend things all the time that aren't perfect. Right? Just ask someone, what kind of car should I buy? You'll get all kinds of advice. Just ask someone, what kind of phone should I buy? You'll hear all sorts of things. What neighborhood should I live in? And all of these will be based on good, sound truth and advice, but they won't be perfect. You see, the Word of God, the Bible, is perfect because it comes from God Himself. It's not something that God approves of, it's something that God brings about and brings to life. And you see, if God brings forth the Bible, that has consequences. Because if God is perfect, And if he produces his word, then his word will be what? Perfect. It's a perfect book that comes from a perfect God. Now we might ask ourselves, how can this happen if men are involved? This is why some people don't believe in the Bible. They say there's got to be errors in the Bible. There are men over centuries, dozens of men writing the Bible. And we find errors in books that one man writes over the course of a year. And over centuries, dozens of men write this book. And especially the fact that there are uneducated men, fishermen like Peter. How could they not make a mistake? Others will counter and say that the idea is that men are more like typewriters. Now, wait a minute. Many of you probably don't even know what a typewriter is. Let me try this again. That men are more like the dictation device on your phone. That you simply speak into your phone, and your phone doesn't really think. It just picks up the sounds and writes the things down. 
Now, there's a problem with that, though, isn't there? Because we're all familiar with autocorrect and the I did not say that, Siri. Right? This is not how the Bible comes to be. It's not that men on their own produce the Bible. It's not that men have their personalities flattened and that God uses them like some kind of instrument. No. What it means is that the words of God are important. God didn't just inspire the ideas of the Bible and said, David, run with that. This forgiveness concept, write me something about that in a psalm, would you? No. Instead, God inspires not only the thoughts, not only ideas, but the very words themselves. The fancy theological term for that is verbal plenary inspiration. That is the full word inspiration of the Bible. And so we understand that the Holy Spirit worked with men, not overpowering their personalities. All you have to do to understand this is to read some of David's psalms and then read some from the book of Acts from Luke and then read something from Leviticus from Moses and then read something from the Apostle Paul in Colossians. They all have different language, different vocabulary, different emotions, but one overriding truth. You see, they're not writing independent of God with him later approving it. They are carried along by the Holy Spirit, Peter says. Now, this is important because let's think about what's at stake. Eternal life is at stake. So aren't you glad that the very words of the Bible are inspired, that you can trust in them? There's an old saying that I think many of you have used a lot in the last month and a half with the flood. Measure twice, cut once. And what that means is be careful. When something's important, don't be flippant. Don't try and do things too quickly. Be careful. And that's the way we should look at the Bible. The Bible was carefully put together by the Lord our God. It's not jumbled together as a mess. We don't have to search around and find something. No, it is the Word of God. And the Bible reveals itself this way. In verse, excuse me, in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. In Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You see, we trust the Bible and its accuracy because it comes from God. We know the Bible is perfect because we know God. That's why each and every week we seek to acknowledge that the Bible, the Word of God, is completely inerrant. The second thing we see about the Bible is its power the power of Scripture, and that the Bible, first and foremost, is clear. Now, the Bible is not some mysterious book that needs to be decoded. That was a basic reformational principle. The church had declared at the time of Luther that the people had no right to read the Bible for themselves. There was actually a law against translating the Bible into the language of the people. Men were put to death for translating the Bible out of Latin into English. 
or German or another language. Now, there's a reason for this, because if you lived in Europe in 1517, there was about a 1 in 5 or 10,000 chance that you knew Latin. Almost everyone did not know the language. It was reserved for the intellectuals, for those at universities, for the elite. And so if someone wanted to know what the Bible said, they had to rely upon church authorities. There was no way they could actually read the Bible for themselves. It is a true statement that at the time of the Reformation, Bibles were actually chained inside churches. So you could not take them out of the church. Now, if we want Scripture to be our authority, then it must be free from other authorities. Otherwise, Scripture cannot be our authority. Now, there are examples of this today in different ways, how people try to keep the Bible from you. Perhaps one of the most common is the use of numerology. There will be people that will tell you, if you really want to understand the Bible, you have to buy my book, because you see, I've decoded the Bible. Now, I don't know if they got the decoder ring in a box of Captain Crunch or, or tricks or something. I don't know. But what they do is they go through and they count every eighth word in a book and they make a sentence out of it. Or what they do is they fold the Bible upside down and backwards and they randomly pick at words. And what happens is it sounds humorous until you realize that just a couple of months ago, someone declared that the world would end on September 23rd. Because they'd found the secret code in the Bible that had told them so. Now, what they missed was the not-so-secret code in the Bible where Jesus clearly says, of that day, no man will know. Plain English. So instead, we go to numerology and coder rings. Now, I don't know about you, but it's October 15th, and we're still here. And I guarantee you, next year, someone will predict something else from this. There are also those who claim to find hidden meanings in the Bible, that you can't really know the truth of the Bible unless you're privy to these hidden meanings that somehow we get. But that's not how the Lord designed the Scriptures. He wrote the Scriptures to reveal Himself, not to conceal Himself. The Bible is there for us so that we might learn who the Lord is, so that we might know what He has done, and so that we might know what He requires of us. Paul describes what this looked like for Timothy in verse 14. He says that Timothy had learned from the Bible. He says that Timothy had firmly believed and that he knew things and that he had known these things from his childhood. The Bible had taught Timothy what he needed to know. The Scriptures have a purpose We'll get to that in a minute. Now the question here would be, how could Timothy know something if the Bible is unknowable? How could Timothy learn and study if the Bible is designed to conceal? You see, that just points to the obvious falsehood of those who would say that the Bible is a mystery to man. No, the Bible is put forth by the Lord to reveal himself. God describes the way the Bible is clear in the Psalms. He describes it as a light to us. It is a lamp to our feet. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding. Now, 
Now, this does not mean that every part of the Bible is equally clear. Because I can almost imagine you saying, but pastor, there are some things in the Bible that are really hard to understand. I don't know about you, but for me, the beginning of Ezekiel is one of them. Wheels upon wheels upon wheels with different animals. With different... Okay, I've got to stop and really take a look at this. But the good news for us is that we are in good company. You see, even the Apostle Peter himself, the one who lived with Jesus for three years, the one who wrote Scripture, he said, you know, sometimes when Brother Paul writes stuff, it's hard to understand. I've got to read it through a couple times and ask for some help. So if Peter can find things difficult to understand, then I think we can find things difficult to understand. But the truth is, is that in the Bible, the main things are the plain things in the Bible. Like who is God? And who is Jesus? And how can I be saved? Right? It's like, think about as you live at home. You may mention the stock market to your children. But you don't expect them to understand how to put an option. Or how to buy derivatives. Or the difference between the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. Right? But when you talk to them about the important things in their life, how they should treat their siblings, how they should treat their parents, what they should do at home, how hard they should study at school, those are the sorts of things that you repeat over and over and over and over again, right? You want to make sure they get them. That's not a passing reference. Don't pick on your sister. Ten years go by. I told you ten years ago, don't pick on your sister. No. No, I think it was probably last night that you were told not to pick on your sister. And previously, the night before that. Because the main things are the plain and the repeated things. And that's the way the Bible works as well. The other thing is that God has given help to His people to make the Bible clear. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told that Jesus gives pastors and teachers to help his people understand the Bible. Now, this is not a substitute for the Bible. It is a help to help us understand the Bible. We also see that the Bible is authoritative. Now, it's important that the Bible be clear because it is authoritative. Now, at the time of the Reformation, the Bible had very little authority. The people didn't know it. They had no access to it. Instead, they just went and listened to people at church. Instead of the Bible having authority, men did. Now, I don't want you to jump to the conclusion that the church should have no authority. Because remember, Jesus has given the church pastors and teachers to help them understand the Bible. But we have to remember that the Bible is its own authority and power. There are levels of authority. We don't want to be looking at solo, with an O, Scriptura, that is the Bible only by itself, with no help from others, with no prayer. No, instead we want sola Scriptura, that is the Bible as the ultimate authority. It works like this. Imagine in your home... Mom and dad go out for the evening. And they leave oldest brother in charge. Now, I imagine mom and dad, as they leave, don't say to oldest brother, Okay, you're the king of the castle. Do what you want. 
You want to refinance a mortgage? Go for it. You want to change all the rules? It's all up to you. You're in charge. You're in charge of everything. Who drives the cars? What food we'll eat for the next 10 years? Where we'll live? You're in charge of everything, right? That, that's not reality, right? But at the same time, if younger sister is climbing on the cupboards, standing on the counter, and oldest brother says, get down from the counter, we don't do that here, the appropriate answer is not, you're not the boss of me, I can do whatever I want. Because the authority there that elder brother has comes from mom and dad. And everybody knows if mom and dad were home, they would be right on you for being on the counters. The appropriate answer is, oh yes, brother, I'm sorry that I've disobeyed. I'll do what I should do. This happens all the time in your house, doesn't it? This is good. But you see, the authority there that the brother has is a real authority, but it is subservient to the authority of the parents. So the authority of teachers in the church is real, but it is always subject to the Bible. This is why the Bible tells us to be subject to our elders. This is why the Bible tells us to obey our leaders. Because they are under the authority of the Bible. And to the extent that they cease to be under the authority of the Bible, you don't have to obey them. Perfect example and point is our friend Martin Luther. The church leaders were not obeying the truth of the Bible and submitting to its authority. And Luther called them back to the Bible. Luther's movement was a movement of reformation. Is a reason we call it the Reformation and not the Revolution. Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and all of the others were seeking to call the church back to the Bible. They weren't trying to destroy the church, even the organization of the church. They were just simply trying to make the church on earth submissive to the Bible, the Word of God. Because the Bible has the final word in any matter. I hope this morning you are listening to me. I hope you take seriously what I am saying. But I also hope you check it with the Bible. You see, if the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, can say to the Bereans that they were more noble because they searched the Word of God to determine what he said was correct, then I surely want you to do that for me and for your Sunday school teachers and for those in your small group and for those in your Bible study, listen and learn, but search the scriptures. That's what your teachers and leaders want you to do. You see, only a part of what we do in preaching is explain the Bible. The other part of what we do is to give you a fire and a love for the Bible. So that you search the Bible out on your own, because it is the authority of God. This is why each week we acknowledge that the Bible is completely authoritative. Now, the doctrine of the Bible and sola scriptura is not only important in theory or theoretically. It is also very practical. And there is a purpose of scripture. And the most important purpose of the scripture is to teach us salvation. You see, the Bible is important because of what it teaches, and God is the one who is speaking in His Word. He spoke because He wanted us to know, and first and foremost, He wants us to know about salvation. 
And that's what Paul points out here in verse 15. He tells Timothy that you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. So what we have here is we have a very specific summary of what the Bible teaches. We see this. Now, we need the Bible to teach us this because it's not available to us in the world. Now, God can be known through His creation. We look outside and we see that the world is orderly. Now, I know that there are many people in our modern day that ignore the order of the world. But I don't know about you, I didn't wake up this morning and expect at 9 a.m. the moon to rise. I didn't get out of bed and expect to hit the ceiling that I might float instead of keep my feet on the ground. There is so much in the world today that is precise. The way the tides come in and out. The way the seasons are. The way the ecosystems in various areas with plant life and animal life continue to flourish. The fact that the earth is the perfect distance between the sun. Any closer, we're a fireball. Any further, we're an ice cube. All of this screams order and design. Now, I understand that people want to put their head in the sand. But ostriches just don't look like very intelligent birds. And that's what people are doing when they deny a creator. There's also something else that speaks to us of a creator. And that is, I know I didn't create myself. Where did I come from? Well, I came from my parents. Okay. Where did my parents come from? Well, they came from my grandparents. Okay. Where did they come from? Well, you know where this is going, right? We keep going all the way up the chain. I don't care how many millions and millions and billions of years you get. Eventually, you get to someone who had to create himself, who's unlike any other human being, anything we've ever known. And somehow we call that natural? You see, people want to pull a fast one on you. It's like when you walk the streets of New York City and they ask you to find the queen. And they're talking to you and they're flipping the cards around and trying to keep everything moving. Except for all scientists do today is they say, well, add a million years. Now, add, add another million years. Now, okay, add, add a billion years. Add a million and a half years. They just keep adding time as if somehow time solves an epistemological problem. How do you get something from nothing? There's no answer to that. So the world itself declares to us that there is a God. The Bible teaches this principle of natural revelation. In Psalm 19 we read, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there any words whose voice is not heard. But there's a problem for you and me. Because the Bible teaches us that there is a God. The Bible teaches us even that we are inexcusable before God because we act like we are God when we're not. The, the world does not show us how we resolve that problem. How can we be right with God? You can't find the answer to sin in the sun or the moon or the stars or the trees, or the leaves, 
or the rain or the fog? Now, the only place you could find the answer to that is in God's Word. You see, God has revealed His will for our salvation in His Word. And Paul covers all of this, the whole story of the Bible, in this one small phrase. Salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible shows salvation. The Bible shows that it is through faith and not of our doing. And the Bible shows that it comes to us in the person of Christ Jesus, not our own selves. As a matter of fact, Paul's phrase is the story of the Bible. We might summarize it this way. The story of the Bible is the story of the redemption of sinners by God in the work of Jesus. That's the overarching theme of all of the Bible. And God has chosen His Word as the way to reveal that to us. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 1. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach, the Bible, to save those who believe. This is why the Bible is so important. But the Bible doesn't abandon us after we come to know Jesus by faith. Some would see the Bible as the place to start, and then we're off on our own. We've got to figure it out. But sola scriptura asserts the complete sufficiency and importance of the Bible. That's why each week we talk about the Bible being completely sufficient. Paul tells us that all of the Bible is profitable. That means it's useful. It's advantageous for us. The Bible has value. And that the Bible is a very practical book. It contains instruction on relationships, on love, about work, about how to speak, about how to handle adversity and trying circumstances. You see, the Bible is there for us as we live the Christian life. Paul also tells us that the Bible reproves us. This is kind of an an old-fashioned word that has the idea of discipline or rebuke. Ultimately, we do not judge the Bible. The Bible judges us. And that's because it is God's standard. It is God's word with God's authority. Paul also tells us that the Bible corrects us. It sets us on the right path. The Bible is given to us by God so that we might improve, so that we might grow in grace, so that we might become more and more like Jesus. In our life, the Bible corrects our wrong thinking. And it trains us in righteousness, Paul says. Now, to train someone, the word that Paul is using here, is to make a child an adult. Now, that's pretty much describes family life, right? Virtually everything you do, from how to eat, to how to balance a checkbook, to how to drive, to how to study, everything you can think of comes under that rubric. Making a child an adult. That's what Paul is saying here the Bible does for us with righteousness. We are made mature children of Jesus Christ by the Bible. The Bible is our training ground. It is what God uses to sharpen us, 
to file off the rough edges, to make us more and more like Jesus. That's, after all, the goal of every believer, isn't it? To be more like Jesus. So how do we do that? The Bible. That's where we look. This is so that we might be equipped, Paul says, for all that God desires of us. See, the end of all of this is that we would be the person God intends us to be. And that is why we are never before glory beyond the Bible. The Bible is always there for us to make us more and more like Jesus. Well, the circumstances of the world are different today than they were in 1517, aren't they? But the truth is, that the Bible is the ultimate authority for all of our life and that it points to our need for Jesus just as it did then. It hasn't changed at all. Do you trust your Bible? Do you know your need of the Bible? May we never forget sola scriptura, that the Bible is our ultimate authority. Let's pray.